Oh, I, oh, I start. It's up to you. Do you want to start? I'll start. I'll start. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast that examines and celebrates pop culture through an LGBTQ plus lens. new episode of One More Thing with Jay and right. Robert. We are here doing our roundtable, which has kind of become our favorite episode of the season. We have yeah. a lot of people in the room right now, so let's get to it. We like to go around and have everybody introduce themselves by saying your name, your pronouns, and how you identify whatever that means to you. Um, I'll start with, uh, my name is Robert. I use he, him, and I identify as cis male. Um, and that's me. And I'm Jay. Everyone knows me, but I'm Jay. And I use they, them, and I identify as transmasculine. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing out there in the interwebs? Uh, my name is Garnet. My pronouns are she and they. And I am a blickety, blickety black, uh, non-binary trans woman. And I emphasize the blickety, blickety black because I'm probably going to cuss at some point and use the N-word. Argue with your mama, not me. <laughs> My name is Diana. Uh, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. I am a non-binary trans woman. Um, and yeah, that's me. Hi, I'm Cleo Kim. I go by she, her, and I'm a trans woman. I identify as a woman. I'm a 1.5 generation immigrant born in South Korea. Great to hang out with y'all. Amazing. I want to say really quickly <laughs> that we are doing this round table because... Many of our listeners know last season we did what we called a non-binary roundtable, but what it ended up actually being was all transmasculine people. And we were sort of like, that's actually not really <laughs> representing a variety of experiences. So we wanted to do not like the opposite, but we wanted to represent another experience, which is like a trans feminine experience. And I also just want to say before we start that as a trans masculine person. And as Robert is a cis man, we're going to like sit back a little bit and let y'all three talk a lot. So don't feel pressured to like, wait for us to talk. Please just like jump in whenever you want to jump in both for the audience and for our participants. If the audience wants to jump in, they can, they're not listening now, but when they do listen, they can be like, <laughs> they can yell at the screen. So we'll start with just sort of like basic, like trans stuff. If everyone could just talk about how your gender journey has unfolded, is unfolding now, and sort of like what your your quote unquote process was for sort of coming into yourself. So I came out as queer my my sophomore year of high school, I think, and I yeah, sophomore year. And I was very kind of involved with the GSA in my high school. I grew up in Chicago. I went to um, kind of a very small, very insulated private school. And I was very active in kind of that queer community. And I went to college at NYU. It was a much larger place. And I didn't feel as moved to have kind of an active role in the kind of organizing community and queer spaces there. But I kind of immediately dove into um, like just a ton of personal development. I kind of did some personal excavation and understood that I was actually assigned intersex at birth, which was a big part of my understanding of myself as a non-binary person. And then about 
junior year of college is when I came out as non-binary, changed my pronouns. I was using they, them exclusively. I didn't change my name at that time, but I was kind of playing with the idea of different um, kind of names and, and, and points of recognition. After school, I started working in bridal and I was very lucky to get to have some really formative experiences with trans brides who kind of immediately really saw me and kind of folded me into this moment of shopping, which was so soulful and wholesome and wonderful. And after that time, during kind of lockdown, I started having these thoughts that I was vocalizing to my partner, like, I want to like have a sleeping beauty moment. Like I would like to disappear into lockdown and come out like fully formed, done, like the Polly Pocket makeover machine, which was also soulful and wholesome and formative. And so I, I kind of changed my name and started using she, her pronouns a little bit more actively. And when I went back into kind of the working world, I... It, I ended up kind of disidentifying with that original want I had where it felt like I was going to a new job post lockdown. I didn't have the same recognition of who I had been all those moments before. There was less people who knew me kind of prior. And so it's been a really interesting experience. But yeah, now I, I very proudly identify as a non-binary trans woman, you know, kind of get to I, I express that way in, in professional spaces and in personal spaces differently and artistic spaces, especially differently. But yeah, you know, it's it's been a good time. I think I'm going to keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) I hope you do thank you (laughs) I definitely want to come back to this trans bride situation and hear more about that double click double click on the wedding thing I mean like oh I'm like still tingling from hearing that but um about me my gender journey I think Non-linear is the first thing I want to say. I think I heard that. I think that might be something many of us share, particularly from the queer community. And I think if I give you the highlights, definitely started with this innate curiosity, femininity, makeup, heels, dresses, formative experience. I was like coveting my sister's prom shoes. They were the cutest heels. And in high school, it was going into the garage and like pulling them out of the shoe cabinet and trying it on, doing the model walk for, you know, America's Next Top Model. That was my first foray, right? Oh my God, it felt so good. And yet it felt so wrong. So it was so confusing. It was in the suburbs. I was in Ohio. I knew I needed to get out. I needed to find a space to really explore this this innate curiosity of mine. Uh, Fast forward, came to New York, NYU. I think we have some overlaps here, there. But in this stage, I think the best way I would call it is it was like an intellectual exploration into gender for myself. I needed to create reason or I needed to create like a case almost for myself. So what do I mean? Picking up on the heels, I had to be like, What are heels? Why are heels womanly? When you break it down, heels are what? Metal, wood, rubber, leather. These materials are not gendered. When did these things become gendered? When do we start marketing it? History, you know, you research a little bit more and you find out, you know, there are citations back to like what, 10th or 15th century Persian army. Uh, Soldiers wore heels to better position their body to shoot arrows. Like that was not necessary. I mean, women are slaying now. Yeah, sure. But um, the intent was very different then. What happened through time when heels became this thing of just women? So a lot to say there, but simply what did that mean for me? We have the power. 
I have the power to choose what objects I wear and how does that mean in terms of my expression. So it was a very like intellectual thing that was important to me. Fast forward a little bit more. Okay, so transness femininity, I like it. I, I feel it. It feels right for me. But then I started hitting this roadblock of well, what does it mean to be a woman? What is the standard of the definition to be a woman? And I think right now, what's most accessible at then, back then I should say, was cis women. That was the definition of what it means to be woman for me. Well, how do I reconcile? What's my relationship to that? Long story short, a big part of it was the question of my boobs, my breasts. What do I do with this? What, what does this mean? And um, I think, you know, a couple of those kind of classic trans questions. Do I, perceive, do I pursue a procedure? Do I not? What does this mean for me? How does hormones play a role into my body, my change? And, you know, spend all that for a second. I think there was a day I was reading the New York Times or something, and there was this headline about breast cancer. And not to bring it down to a <laughs> heavy moment, but what did that article spark for me? It was this question of, you know, folks who, 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 who battle cancer, breast cancer, often or do pursue a mastectomy. And those individuals, often cis women who have that procedure, have that operation, they have that next question of, do I reconstruct my breasts or do I not? There is this question that they grapple with and reading about some of those patients experiences, those survivors, what I found was this one, there's definitely not one standard answer, right? But what was common in it is this dimension of what does this mean for me as a woman, as an identity that I have lost my breasts? Does this mean I need to regain my breasts? And that kind of complexity and nuance there. And where am I going with this? Hearing and reading about those stories, I realized there's not having breasts or not having breasts or having them the way that you want or the way that you don't want. Whatever these things mean, it, it is not this critical pillar of what it means to be a woman. And not only is it a question or a point for trans folks, but cis women also navigate this question. And it goes beyond just press, right? Other aspects of what it means to be a woman. And so it, it, this is a very like philosophical way to describe it. But in short, to land this point, I realize we have sisters over there, the cis women, that they're navigating the question of womanhood, just as trans women might be navigating what it means. And it's ultimately in this umbrella of woman is woman. It's inclusive. It is how you as an individual want to define it for yourself. So in short, that's been my journey. And it's been finding my individual definition of womanness. Uh, and it still continues today. But I needed that kind of reconciliation to break through and go, I have the power. I have the power to chart my path of what it means to be a woman, to be a trans woman. Wow. I mean. <laughs> that was, wow, that was really special. <laughs> Thank you for saying all that. That that's like the mo sorry to Diana who we didn't like have this reaction when you talked about yours, but <laughs> no, no, <laughs> by all means, because my like my cheeks are so hot from 
hearing that, just such a, a profound response. So thank you for that, Cleo. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna have to take you to church real quick. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so sorry to break this trend. I did not go to NYU. Oh, that is quite all right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, as far as my gender journey, you know, I have some of the markers that like are sort of, for better or worse, I have some of those markers that are stereotypes. Like I grew up to a single, with a single black mother in the deep, re deeply religious South. And so some of those first things that were indicators were you like, you know, only having my mother and my abuela and my, my auntie and everybody around me. And because I was also isolated to gospel music, I could not listen to contemporary music, secular music, you know, it's the devil down south. And so I could get away with a Stevie Wonder or an Aretha Franklin, you know, some of the older stuff. Maybe if I was really, really lucky, I might hear a hint of Whitney because, you know, she was raised in the church. But really what I heard were these women with these incredibly high voices. And as a small mm -hmm. child being like forced to sing, I also had a very high voice. So that's where I gravitated. And that was like a big part of my femininity, you know, being able to being a neurodivergent person who really, really communicated on base level because, you know, they're like, oh, all kids like repeat sounds, but like literally recreating the sound, the melisma that was there and there and there. And, you know, being, as I grew up, being pushed into theater and feeling really uncomfortable with like the roles that I was trying to like sort of being put into as a larger person at the time of like, be the dad, be the grandpa, be the uncle. And I was like, this is uncomfortable. You know, being backstage at West Side Story, playing big deal. But when the girl playing Maria was busy and the Tonys were trying to run their music, I knew it. So just only you, they're the only thing I see forever. You know, just fluttering in this soprano, any place that I could find it. And as I went to school in Pittsburgh and not New York, um, <laughs> you know, I was a little bit older and, and I was exposed to trans people for the first time in a manner that wasn't derogatory. Because I'm from it, I'm from Atlanta and you know, you live on the South side, the West side of Atlanta, they're trans people, but they're sex workers. And so there's something very, very derogatory pointed at that. But you know, then I met, you know, a couple of trans men and a couple of non-binary people and this thing was festering in me and I knew that like I knew especially with the way that other people treated me and just the the projection of like you are just wrong and we don't really like it while trying to pursue a career in the theater and like looking the way that I do I was very much like I can't really I can't do this it's cute and it's kitschy that you know when we're doing dance classes and they're like, oh, we need someone to stand in the middle and do sister act. Sure, in dance class, I'll do the choreography and belt out the entirety of, you know, Katina's part. But nobody's going to take me seriously. And I'm already like dark skin and black. Like, no, I don't need to make this any harder for myself. Mm. And then sort of at the end of my career in undergrad, I was like, maybe this is something that I need to look at. And then I made the mistake that a lot of younger queers do. Um, because with all of the stories that people tell you about yourself as a kid, right? Based on your looks, based on your hue, based on your size of who's ever going to want you and who would ever choose you, somebody like you and living the life that I had. It was all of this festering femininity 
And then I met a man and I spent two and a half years of my life with him. And at no point was it ever an option. Like this was, this was sacrilege. This was like, like I remember one day, I remember I had like all of $10 in my bank account. I was forced to go from DC to Baltimore and meet my mother because she was like berating me about something. And she was like, you have to come pick this up. And there's no reason you're not. So, you know, it's one of those moments. I remember on the way back, through Union Station in DC, they used to have an H&M over by the pizza shop. And I found this blue green dress and it was on sale for $3. And I was having such a horrible time that my body was like, you have to do something for you. So I bought this dress and I stuffed it in to my bag and I went home and I was working three jobs at the time. He was not working at all because he didn't want to and it was difficult and you know, and I was Susie Homemaker over here. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed and his face when he woke up and saw me in that dress. For somebody who was supposed to love me was just, he was just disgusted and upset. And so I got rid of the dress and I buried it away for years. And for the rest of that relationship. Um, and so, you know, still having all of these moments theatrically, you know, having a little bit of a theater career in DC. And, you know, I'm on this side of the casting pool. You know, I'm adjusting, trying to do things, but you know, when there's a cabaret, when there's like a group number, um, the one soprano was like, damn, I'm tired today. I'm like, switch down to the center part, I got you. You know, and I could never, I could, on a body like mine, you can't hide femininity. So it happened. And then in, it was 2018, we were at home. And he stood up and he was like, I'm done. And he just left, left the house, left everything, left me. But when it was over, I was like, if you continue to bury this thing, it will be one more thing that rushes you faster to the grave. And you've already made some choices in your life and in the way that you even, not only the way you let other people treat you, but in the ways that you treat yourself that are already winding that clock faster. Can't you give like, for one second that fist of a heart that you've made that is only capable of giving love to other people and is only capable of supporting other people just like let one finger loosen a little bit and so I did it I mean he let he left me while I was in the middle of a production I was in rehearsals I remember like having to go to all three of my jobs that next day like he had left in the afternoon. I had to go to, no, I had to go to rehearsal that night. And two days later, I like looked at somebody who was in the show with me. I was like, by the way, I'm a girl. Like, I, because I could, I like, I couldn't hold it. And I was not, look, trigger, trigger warning for a little bit. Like I was flat out alco alcoholic when he left. Like did not eat solid food for like two and a half weeks. Literally nothing but liquor and wine. Maybe a little bit of coffee. That is all I consume. But the one thing I did to take care of myself was I started to say what I actually was. And that ending led to some like other stuff and some other changes that sort of went along um, that I guess we can get into later. But like that, that, was, that was the turning point for me, for better or for worse. It was like be getting out of this relationship. And that was the last relationship I ever had with this man because she's a lesbian, darling. Um, <laughs> but... We can, I can tell, I, we can tell you that story about the bombshell blonde that changed my life a little later in the episode, if y'all want that. Um, Definitely. But, 
but yeah, that, that was the beginning of that gender journey. And as I sort of moved beyond that and was doing that for myself, I think the understanding of myself as a non-binary person came from reading a couple of books, fantasy books, mind you, and Kate Jemison's 100,000 Kingdoms trio, and also Rick Rodin's uh, Magnus Chase Chronicles. But in my understanding of myself, and I, in earnest, it came from a place of like not feeling, still not feeling like anybody would ever want me or care. But it was definitely this moment of like, the idea of femininity and perfect femininity and, you know, being a trans womana and forgive this, but you know, being as the girls would say, mm, very vagina. like that just always felt so far from me, right? Because there is a level of space and gentility that I as a black person in this living in the States with my body and my hue will never be allowed to exist in. And that was something I was very aware of. And so realizing that I was not, I was not going to be, you know, as some of the girls like to call themselves, a doll, a perfect little doll, but that what I could possibly recognize about myself was that I was a portion of the maelstrom of creation. At some point throughout the fabric of reality, something or someone scooped up a piece, took all of that emptiness and all of that creation and that heat and that cold that has all of these reactions and contains all of these multitudes and capped it in a little girl with a high voice and a big butt and dark skin and big cheeks and all the things that I hate about myself and all the things that I am still learning to love, it's all in here. So how could I put on a binary on that? Yeah, she's a woman, darling. But I don't think if I had 10,000 lifetimes, I'd find every little thing in here. I just want to say we have like the three smartest, coolest people in the room with us right now because all three of you just like I'm blown away just I like I truly don't know how to respond to any of this yeah it's just like yeah that's brilliant the end <laughs> that's it's so fascinating to me that even though all three of you have these like very different journeys like the kernels of what you're saying are all present in all the other people which I think is kind of beautiful and, and fascinating even though we didn't all go to NYU which I did go to NYU um and that's not. actually that's actually how I know both Diana and Cleo but <laughs> I honestly don't even want to like ruin what all three of you said by like responding or saying anything so I think we should just move to the next segment and like mm-hmm. honor what the three of you said and just like let our audience sit with it for a second here's a commercial a group of teenagers at an LGBTQ plus conversion camp endures unsettling psychological techniques while being stalked by a mysterious masked killer. That is what happens in They Slash Them on Peacock and what we will be talking about this October 31st as our movie club episode. Be sure to tune in. I just want to be in that too. <laughs> Say the thing about you just made films. Oh, yeah. And we will be discussing it with Huge Ass Mammoth Films from TikTok and other social media, but mostly they're very famous on TikTok. And we're super excited to make a new friend and to have a nice little chat. The movie is already out, so make sure that you go ahead and watch it so you can feel included in this episode. And we will see you on Halloween. The next thing we wanted to talk about, because we are a pop culture podcast, so we have to talk about pop culture. 
I guess just starting question, is there any representation that you have felt is like truthful to your experience and that you like go to when you want to, I guess these are two different questions. Like, uh, is there representation that you feel truthfully rep- like represents you? And also, is there anything that you, I mean, I know you said fantasy novels, Garnet, but um, is there anything that's like not overtly trans that you that you feel like, oh, that's like a trans narrative for sure? I mean, for me, my, my like, biblical text of my transness is Orlando by Virginia Woolf. I watched the film when I was in high school. It was like one of the first movies I ever watched when I had a personal computer. And it like completely cracked open my world in part just because of the like storytelling capabilities of the dress. As like a designer, I I was like, what the hell? Um, And then also I think this, this kind of radical change of sex that is almost like lifted out of a narrative of transness and just almost put into a narrative of like the kind of confusing wonder of like living a life that has different parts to it. And so for me, that was like my kernel of representation that I feel like I saw myself in. It was like this like redhead woman who like used to be a boy. I mean, what the fuck? So there's that. But I think as I've become an adult, I find myself actually, I don't want to say relying because it's not reliance, but I find myself just less tethered to representation. I think that I like, for me personally, especially as a woman who's white, like I, I can find it. It's there. If I don't know about it, it's, it's most likely not because it doesn't exist. And so that's great. I think in terms of representation that I've seen that absolutely took my breath away, the one thing that's been most successful is Veneno. Um, I think that it is, if not like the pinnacle of trans storytelling that I've seen, it is also like the pinnacle of storytelling through film that I've seen in part, I think because it blends genre in the same way that it it empowers its characters in, in their kind of blending of gender. It's it's just such a such a full and whole piece of work. And so for me, I think that's what I've seen recently that I've been like, oh, that, like that, like like no notes. <laughs> Wait, what was the film? The first film is Orlando. Uh-huh. Um, but the the series is Veneno. It's on HBO Max. Mm. Please, please watch it. I it's about know. um yeah. So it's about a trans woman, Christina La Veneno, who was like a sex worker and media personality in Spain. I mean, I mean, you're it's 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 a series that you actually cannot watch in one sitting. I found like I really had to take time to sit and 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 write and like it it should be on every syllabus it should be like I think that several people should watch that and then quit making movies I like it's it's <laughs> there it's so good Wrong <laughs> statement. I'm just saying like I mean it's it's really quite powerful um and Lola Rodriguez plays one of the leads and and, and she's just amazing I've heard about that show but I haven't now I'm like, I need to watch it. So uh, you guys are so lucky you get to watch it for the first time. <laughs> like, like, it's really, um, it's really something. Yeah. So that's my, my endorsement. So Veneno, no grains of salt, Orlando, uh, probably a teaspoon, tablespoon of salt. Um, but they're very good. 
Well, I'm I'm very happy to take that recommendation. Um, I'm I need to watch a new series, so <laughs> this is exciting. Apart from all the Lord of the Rings and like you know Rings of Power stuff, I mean I love it, but I need something else. <laughs> I was literally just watching the new Rings of Power episode before this, so I'm very oh, with you on that. My God. <laughs> okay. I will, I will interject to say this one thing. I saw Lord of the Rings yesterday, but what we all need to really buckle in and watch, if you can take a little bit of horror, is um, Interview with a Vampire. So secret, secret. I, in my own little way, somehow, maybe because I'm a sneaky little slut, got to see the first two episodes before they air today. And when I tell you fire, fire, fire it is vicious and seductive and bloodthirsty and the acting is brilliant like oh I could be gnashing my teeth just thinking about it but please continue (laughs) Claire. Wow what a gift of media that we get to take away from here this is too strong series that I cannot wait to sink my teeth into pun intended. <laughs> Don't start with me, Cleo. I told you I'm a lesbian. <laughs> Nash, Nash, Nash. <laughs> so I, I struggled a bit with this in terms of, you know, representation in media now, like particularly from my distinct story. Um, and, but, you know, if we like wind the clock back a little, I mentioned uh, my Korean heritage, and part of that means a lot of K-dramas. I don't know mm. if you're familiar, but it's it's kind of like Korea's version, soap opera, exactly. So um, that that's just like a thing that we did growing up. I still do it, spending quality time with mom, but um, there was this one particular series and it was called Coffee Prince. And it's based off of a anime or manga, I believe. And like, I don't remember the full details, but the long and short of it is there's this main character and that individual is a woman, but for whatever reason has to present as a man and is employed at this coffee shop. And this romance develops naturally between the coffee shop owner. We won't go into the power dynamics and the questionable aspect of it, but if we suspend that and look at the purity of the romance, there's something there of the confusion of, of male to male, perceived male to male attraction, but then the realization of being a woman. And so anyway, that was really distinct for me because I remember watching that series and being so enamored by it and yet so uncomfortable as a kid. Like to be in a room on the couch with my mom watching the story. And it was kind of like, do they know that this is kind of the story that I want for me yet I don't even know if I fully want this story for me but something about watching this makes me deeply uncomfortable so I remember that was something and I think I don't know something in the world of uh, fantasy helps you play into, I think, more queer narratives. And so anime and manga has been kind of a, an escape for me as a kid, I think, to find and indulge in some of these stories. So 
So that's where, from a media standpoint, I think I've seen it. Um, I don't really, you know, watch a lot of animes now, so I can't speak to it. But my assumption is there's a lot of it still potentially playing in those themes. But more recently, I don't know. Has anyone did have have any of you watched Big Mouth on Netflix? No, a little bit, a little bit. Wow. Okay. It's animated. It's bombastic. It's loud. It's crass. Um, it's it, And it's kind of this absurdist humor that really works for me. But there's a, um, not to give away too many spoilers, but there's a trans narrative in there of uh, someone at camp. And what I loved about that was there was just something of this innocence that I kind of wished or I was forlorn for. Oh, at camp. What if I had that kind of romance? And the way that they did it in the series, it was so subtle in the context of like nonsense, humor, absurdism. There was just kind of this really pure storyline there with humor, with some of the goofiness. So um, I bring that up just to say it's encouraging to see how it's kind of softly woven in. It doesn't have to be the main thing, but it's present. And I, I, I just love that from watching that series. It was really unexpected. I didn't think that that show would have something like that. It's so thrilling when it's unexpected. When I like, this is not an endorsement, when I caught like the first episode of Euphoria, like over someone's shoulder, when Hunter <laughs> Schaefer, I'm so sorry. I'm so we sorry. We got feelings. I'm genuinely so sorry. But when Hunter Schaefer was like on her phone, I was like, that's, is that kind of <laughs> It's so interesting that 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 feeling of being surprised by a morsel of recognition. Um, and I think it's so interesting as a child when that feeling of recognition is uncomfortable. Like I, I, I've been thinking a lot. There's a, a great series actually on Netflix called Midnight Gospel that's based on a podcast that I actually haven't listened to. But on one episode, Anne Lamont is interviewed and she talks about how her like journey to finding God was less of like a, a beautiful becoming and more of what she says, oh, okay. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess there's God. And um, I think something that kind of happened as a thread, I think Cleo Incarnate through your like beautiful stories of becoming is this this tipping point of like, oh, okay. Like, I guess these signs that I've been feeling and these feelings that I've been having, like, have officially pushed me off the cliff. I, I think about that a lot when it comes to, I think, not just the media that we were privy to as children, but also uh, in watching new media today, I feel like shimmers of that kind of old relationship with it. And especially I find uh, portrayals of trans people who are like younger than I was when I came out. Mm. It's a feeling of like, deep love right for the kids but also this this heart sickness of like mm. wouldn't wouldn't that have been so powerful if mm. i had gotten to feel that that resentment oh <laughs> oh my god and it, it it will it will it for it's me complicated. It's a, oh it's such a dysphoric feeling too yeah. to be like why Am, am I different from these people that I can't bring myself wholeheartedly to love because of this pain? Um, uh, but don't go down that hallway because it's terrible. You know, oh. that's one of those moments where you just have to say like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to turn around now. I'm not going to think those thoughts right now. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I have to say this for every, for every Black trans woman who ever possibly listens to this, there's so much of a narrative around us specifically of like, oh, what a strong black woman, mm -hmm. a strong black trans woman and the work she does and the this and the that and the third. 
And here's the thing. There's absolutely part of me that is always, because I still to this day have younger trans people who are literally younger or they're just pandemic babies asking me questions and being like, <laughs> you're so great. And I get that and I love that and I love that for everybody. But there is a point at which I'm like, I am so tired of being strong, mm. of being brilliant, of taking the scars and bearing the load on my back. And even though most of me says, what not did I suffer the slings and arrows of my youth for, then for the next slew of people to come through to have it better. And I think a couple of y'all might be a little bit younger than me anyway. So like, <laughs> and that's a thing. And I feel that so tenderly. But there is a part of me that grieves for the little girl who did not get to be so small, who did not get to be a young girl who gets to be told that she was pretty. Because if I told y'all some of the things that were said to me in my femininity, Kathy, you would be mm. crying. Mm. So it's like, I, I wish that. And it's like, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And, you know, eat the fruit, spit out the pit, whatever you want to say. But like, mm, it's a moment. It's a moment. I just had to say that because you brought up Hunter Schaefer and baby. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, it's hard, too, I think, to be in those moments of providing support. And, I mean there's like still dirty dishes in the other room. Like, I, you know, there's still like, I'm still not gonna be able to find like my dentist or whatever it is. Like it's hard when there are certain ways within the community, we can't feed each other. Um, and so it's hard, I think, for people who have a really insular individual journey to becoming where they really have to find the food and then figure out how to chew it and feed it to themselves and nourish themselves to that point of, of who they are. So it's one thing to be a trans person who comes into being with support in that but as you're giving the support right it's it's so hard um I, I just read Nevada for the first time and one thing that Imogen Benny writes that really spoke to me was this idea of like when when you are at a certain point in being trans or in your transition whatever it is it can feel hard to feel like you have um skills outside of like being trans like mm. I know how to be me so well, more so than half of the people I will see commuting know about themselves and feel about themselves and understand about themselves, right? And that's not on my resume. That doesn't help me clean my house so much. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, do this, this, this life preserving and informing things that we need. And so I think it can be hard to turn around and feed folks when it can feel scarce because it sometimes is scarce. So anyway, that's, that's my response to that. Well, I just want to take a second and thank all three of you for being here today because you fully lifted my Sunday. <laughs> everybody on this call is a theater person uh, and I want to get everybody's perspective on how you feel theater exists in the world of representation in comparison to TV and film. Because essentially, except for the books that were referenced earlier, we've all mentioned exclusively TV and film, except for Nevada, which we interviewed Imogen in season one of the podcast. So if you want to learn more about Nevada, <laughs> go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> um, but let's talk about theater for a second. I think that theater has constantly been lackluster. I think it has constantly been lackluster. And at the same time, for a realistic perspective, so has television. Like, especially... Now, when we're talking about theater, especially in the last several years of who they have handed Tonys and Tony nominations to, y'all rickety crickety bitches gave Santino Fontana a Tony for doing Tootsie! Tootsie! Woo! Okay, um, and 
you know, I like <laughs> half of the black trans femmes out there have played Pythio in uh, Head Over Heels. Like that thing is so hollow. Mm. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love Peppermint. But it's like, it's these representations in here that make me A, go to representation in like, cartoons like like my name is Garnet I'm very obviously named after one particular cartoon but I was always going to be named after a cartoon character because one of the characters that I saw on television was Lieutenant Shaira Hall of the Thanagarian Legion and her this idea of her being in the Justice League a person who when Superman is standing next to her she throws the first punch because you won't get her like this idea that was something I had to run to because even as I've gotten older when I see trans people represented in and of myself, I'm like, these people are so far away from me. I could be dead for three weeks and I wouldn't be as thin as MJ Rodriguez. <laughs> and that's, and so I loved watching Pose, but every time they said she was a brick, every time they said she was unattractive, I was like, if she's a brick, that makes me a construction site in the eighties. Bricks mm -hmm. everywhere and there's just no regulations. You're just raw dog in reality. So I was like, how am I supposed to see myself in this? Let alone the trans women that are coming about now on television that are just so pretty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so often of mixed race or just fair skin in general or have, you know, the va and the va and the boom. And theater, I think theater on small scales is trying to do better one way or another. You know, right now we have Sis playing Edo Annie in Oklahoma. I think that's wonderful. And you know, Elle Morgan Lee just got that Tony nomination this year, which is glorious. I got, I've seen Strange Loop twice. I've spoken to her, like she's absolutely wonderful, beautiful artist. But like at large, I think it is all lackluster. And I think that there needs to come a point where we have this come to Jesus, come to the throne, come to your vape pen, come to whatever you need to come to about making these stories in a sense where it's not just like, thank you. I'm so glad you finally picked that up and put it in your mouth. I mean. Oh, I'm so sorry. That sounded so wild. But like, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. All I'm going to say is thank you, Diana. Um, but I digress. I think there just really has to be a moment wherein we say, okay, we're going to tell these stories. Now we need to like folk hone in on them as humans and the larger narratives and not just these itty bitty things because like and it, particularly because when it comes to theater it's been something that's so frustrating to me because when I think about myself in the canon of musical theater I'm a golden age soprano some like I finally got an agent after I moved to New York this year and he was like what is the stuff you want to do and I'm like look I know we're gonna have to do a lot of regional theater if Audra and McDonald has ever done it I can sing it like like your daddy's son summertime in Porgy and Bess, like that is a perfect sweet spot for my voice. I could be out till three in the morning drinking the night before and I can still come in and give you your daddy son. It doesn't bother me. But like, I think we, we need to have a moment. We need to bust it wide open and bring it back and allow people who know about our stories to tell our stories. Cause that's going to be the biggest thing. And not like, I think about it and you know, respectfully to all of the straight trans women out there but who respectfully are interested in investigating themselves and the multitudes that they carry, not just interested in chasing cisness and what I respectfully call the white women dream of your picket fence and your man who mm -hmm. quote unquote comes to rescue you. Cause we know men don't rescue nobody. No. Especially not a damn cis man. 
I don't like what? Don't get me started. But yes, like people who are invested not only in opening the door for themselves, but ripping it off of the hinges and knocking the door frame out about 10 feet wider so that it is a constant conversation and people can come through in waves and in mass and in variation and bring so much of who they are, their wagons, their carts, their duffel bags, their their rolling suitcases full of six wigs, three broken heels and four leg tech skirts with them. Oof, what a great answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like this whole episode is just the three of you being like really smart and eloquent. And then we're like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. I just want to underline a feeling of, um, of boredom in general with like the real estate company that currently is holding hostage of the American theater. Um, (laughs) And I think think that, um, uh, I think that, there is an essence um, that lives in theatrical performance that I feel personally a level of just strain with. I miss still that feeling of ritual community catharsis that I feel used to live in theater I saw. And so, you know, I, I am hopeful that we will be able to see participate in and create theater that speaks to like us in the world but it does it it is a very um difficult feeling right now to see kind of a community in an industry that is like asleep in a lot of ways especially those like large you know white run like like uh uh board-backed um regional institutions so yeah, it's just, it's it's been difficult to get excited. It's a it's a famine of beauty, in the words of Andre Leon Sally. Yeah! It's a famine of beauty. Um, and that's unfortunately, not unfortunately, that is the reason why I wanted to work in theater. Unfortunately, it just doesn't feel like there's spaces that are uh, super excited to, you know, create, like, beauty ritual. <laughs> I will be thinking about famine of beauty for a long time. I I mean, it's, it's like, put it on my headstone if you don't scatter me. <laughs> Diana, I knew I'd like to. I feel this little tribe being built and I love it. (laughs) Did you know that about once, I'd say a week, somebody hits me up on social media asking for the Leah Michelle can't read video? I thought we weren't going to talk about it. We're not, but you know what? They can all find us on social media at one more thing. <laughs> a because I was taken. And you can give us your thoughts on episodes. If we moved you, message us. If you want to see behind the scenes content and sneak peeks at future episodes, or you want to see our faces behind these voices. Yeah, we're hot. Go ahead and follow us. Give us a shout out. Share the episode. Yeah, if you would post like. about us. Yeah, if you're really feeling this episode, share it. Just Tell get your little fingers on your little keyboard and type. <laughs> one more thing. And we will see you online. Yeah, we will. So our next segment is about dating, which when we did... <laughs> all already, of you. <laughs> all of you had reactions to that. Um okay. 
when we did our last, our quote unquote non-binary round table, we had a really like long and interesting conversation about dating. And I'm just sort of interested to get the three of your perspectives. I know Garnet, you spoke briefly about the blonde bombshell who changed your life, <laughs> which I would love to return to, uh, because I would love to meet her. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 you know what the hell she is. When you find out, you let me know. And so I'm interested to hear everyone else's perspectives as well on what dating is like as a trans person. I can start just because I think I'm probably going to have the shortest response. So I, I dated a lot when I identified as non-binary um, only um, before I identified as a woman and, and was using she, her and changed my name and all that good stuff. And I found that <laughs> pretty terrible. And, and the end of kind of my dating experience at that time in my life was a lot of waiting through disrespect, a lot of sexual disrespect, um, and and disrespect that was kind of levied at me at the time as somebody who was like seen as a feminine man. And so there was also then that added layer of like, well, if this isn't great, I do not think the deep end will be warmer. <laughs> um, and so I had this moment kind of right after, um, right after, uh, so I, 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 I did not graduate from college, right after like the amazing, the most expensive play I've ever been in in New York was NYU's graduation. Um, and <laughs> uh, so that, I'm so that sorry, I'm gonna mute myself. <laughs> and, and boy, oh, actors and audience paid dearly, um, paid dearly, but uh, that week, I, I had uh, a sexual experience that was just, I mean, just ridiculous. And, and, and really, uh, it's the only sexual experience I've ever called my parents about. Um, and, and I was very lucky that they were cool. It was, it was uh, transphobia and anti-Semitism in a salad I have never seen on any menu or thought to order. Um, maybe one appetite. Uh, but it, it was not it. Um, and I, I got a tattoo that was in my handwriting in a very hidden spot, like kind of wrote a prayer on my body, um, had a friend tattoo it. I took a full calendar year off of dating, um, sex, uh, talking. Like I, 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 one of the first ways that I allowed myself womanhood was through this idea of being a nun. Mm -hmm. And wow. so I took this year of real introspection. I, I think it was at that time that I started growing out my hair. I really felt like I was now dating myself in a way that I felt very proud of because I had not really been able to achieve that. And during that time, I really fell in love with a very close friend. And the first date that was actually a full year to the day since I decided I was going to grow my virginity back, that, that first date with my current partner was then. So now I've been together with my partner for three years. I am in a lovely t for t relationship that I highly recommend. There is something so profound that I feel so lucky to have been able to find um, with someone who I've known for eight years and who I've been intimate with for three um, we lived together. I made French onion soup from scratch last night and we like watched a movie and ate it. And um, so, so uh, I'm in a place right now where I feel very, uh, very comfortable and I feel very proud of that because I, when I look back at the time that I spent dating, I see like a very long history of me kind of attempting and reattempting to kind of throw myself at people who were not prepared to want me 
And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now, cohabitating with my partner. And it's interesting because I now I'll see, like I watched Fire Island recently and I feel like I've finally gotten to this place of like this really weird nostalgia that I have in my diary, I call it fag envy, (laughs) where like there's almost this like this, it's like looking through a snow globe at emotion that I don't identify with anymore. And so it's been very interesting. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 27 and, and, um, over the past three years, I, I have like really understood myself as a woman at the same time that my partner has been understanding himself and, and, and have been in this relationship. And so like, when it comes to dating as a non-binary trans woman, I, I, I don't know so much, but I know a lot about being in a union and staying in a union and committing and recommitting and then recommitting after that and like cleaning the room and then recommitting again and letting the room get messy and then recommitting again and so that's kind of my relationship I think to love um in in this in 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 this version of of Diana damn go off Diana (laughs) that French onion soup image um wait that's fabulous yeah I mean nothing makes you feel more like you're cohabitating than cooking onions for two and a half hours and continuing (laughs) to stir them and stir them and turning down the heat if they brown too fast and like slapping his hand away from the dish to make sure he doesn't grab some and burn his fingers I mean I can't yeah that's that's why I've got the tea for tea on my arm baby (laughs) I suppose I'll go next so I want to I want to preface this by saying um I do live in Brooklyn, therefore, yes, I am a polyamorous by legal contract. (laughs) I'm also in a relationship of now less than a year with someone who I met when, when I came out, like a few months after I met her before she came out, before she turned 21. Um, and we've been friends since then, but we've been in a relationship for less than a year. She's currently on the West Coast starring in a brand new rock opera musical that is three acts and I won't be with her for months. Um, dating is a mess. It is a mess. And I see you, Diana, with your TFT. That has been my story for quite a while. Um, so I said, I said all that stuff about getting out of that relationship. And I still, after that relationship, I still pretended like I liked men. And I was like trying to slip trans people in there as much as I could. You know, it was a lot of like they, thems and like trans men and what have you. Because I was like still pretending and I still had that, that thing in my head of like, who would ever want you? Who would whatever, whatever. whatever. Um, but right around when I got hired at the lesbian bar, I was there one night with a friend from out of town. And I'm coming down the stairs into the bar and I also have to preface this with saying my, my life is incredibly annoyingly cinematic. So very often these will sound like scenes from movies. I swear to fucking Christ on, on the cross, it's real. I was <laughs> coming down and all I see is this beautiful body in these high waist jeans and a mesh shirt with a very tight bun on the back of her head. And I'm not really paying attention. She's walking in front of me and a couple of my friends and she turns around and she catches my eye and she goes, hi. And I say, hi. And within 30 minutes, I was pressed up against the poster that is on the wall downstairs um, that is Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera marching 
and she pressed me against that wall and she kissed me and she told me she had just moved back from LA and that she didn't even want to go out that night and that it was perfect and I was perfect and that this was perfectly aligned. And she asked me to go home with her and I said, no. I said, no, I said, no, I said, no, I said, no, because I had a friend in from out of town who had moved to Vermont and that friend was supposed to stay over with me. And my friend pulled me to the side and she said, this person is gorgeous. They want you unabashedly. And if the roles were reversed, you would have left me if I tried to protest. Take them home. And so I did. And that friend chose somewhere else to stay because they had family in the area. And I remember I was in the same bed that I'm now sitting in, uh, in the house that I lived in in DC. I had two rooms and the back room was like a sunroom. And so it was under three big bay windows. And remember all of this hair was in a very tight bun when I met them. When I woke up the next morning, sun, like late spring, early summer sun pouring in. I rolled over and I saw this beautiful, blonde hair laid down like it had been set for a movie, sun beaming across a back covered in freckles, a person with tattoos, asleep with a half smile on her face. And I looked down at her and in that moment I said to myself, if it can be like this, I don't ever want anything else. And that was the day I was like, stop lying to yourself, you're a lesbian, like just. <laughs> now, of course we did the lesbian marathon date and she was going through a time in her life. And so she did what became a pattern for me in the last really year and a half of someone who's going through a big life change meets me, is excited, pretends to be excited about me, is tender, tender, consumes all of the care and affection. These white trans women, this is what they do. They consume all of this care and affection and then I'm discarded. For her, it was, she met like a black cis man who was light skinned and ripped and tattooed right after she was like, I'm not okay to be in a relationship. And I, she suddenly was with him. And it's like, that has just happened over and over and over again. I meet people. And it, it's funny because like a friend of mine said, it was like, that's your curse. They were like, that's your curse. You have the curse of being safe and tender because I can't tell you how many times at this point I've heard you have changed my life and I have I am not the same and the things you have brought to my life I will never forget and I will always be so grateful for the time that we had together and that has happened over and over and over again to the point that literally a week and a half ago I made the ultimate lesbian faux pas I was involved with a straight trans woman <laughs> I know I played myself, but like dating, dating is a mess. Dating is a mess. And like, this is just more to my own personal experience, like being a darker skinned black trans woman who like really only likes trans women. Um, like, and I'm sure Diana can uh, echo in on this about like, when you are T for T, it is like sometimes like standing in front of a fun house mirror because your perceptions of gender, all of your insecurities, all of your dysphoria is smacking up against each other, especially if it's two girls. Like, it's like, ah, your body does this, why doesn't mine? Um, and so it's really, really this interesting thing. And, you know, with the girlfriend that I currently have, I have been so lucky, right? I have been so grateful because, you know, 
it was it was this weird thing that I never necessarily wanted because I knew her for so long. And because when she came out, I was the first person to put her in a dress, put her in makeup. I recently, because our anniversary is in a couple of days and she was leaving to go to San Francisco. I still had it. I gave her the first dress that I ever put her in. Wow. Whoa. In that sense, I've been incredibly lucky that this person, you know, who, when I met her, hated her, didn't like her, (laughs) didn't like what she did, didn't like how she treated me or the ways that she just, in my opinion, felt entitled to certain things. But I have been lucky enough that she has shown up and said, I fucked up before. And I took you were to me and the fact that I had never been in a relationship, a friendship where somebody cared about me like that and didn't want anything else. Had never been in a situation where someone loved me unconditionally through all of the mess that I put them through and stayed and said, I choose you even as a friend. And she said, and from the beginning of our romantic relationship, she was like, when I finally was honest with myself about how I felt with you and let myself feel that, I've been really grateful and really lucky that she has constantly tried to show up and constantly tried to do the thing. And, you know, she's gone right now. And I'm like, I would be by myself. But like I said, dating is a mess. And as, you know, I got the... I went from, you know, walking across the Brooklyn Bridge and holding hands and eating ice cream with this straight trans woman who I've been involved with for months. And she finally whips around at the end of that day and says, well, does it have to be dating or can we just be friends? Uh. As that happened, my life in all of its chaos and foolishness plopped another person in my life. (laughs) I recently, I literally have recently met a whole other girl and like I had to rush back to my apartment this morning to get ready because I stayed over. Like, <laughs> oh and my God. I, I rolled out of bed and it's a, it is a bisexual cis woman. I am confused. Garnet, how do you keep up, up in all of this? <laughs> Most of my friends. Man. Oh my, I do have to ask because when, when I was first getting with my partner, I would walk back and forth every morning to get ready for work. Do you have that one crossing guard who sees you every time you walk home at like 8 a.m., like in the clothes from the weekend? Because I had, I had like an elementary school crossing guard who every morning she'd be like, I see you in those sweatpants and those heeled boots. So I know what happened. <laughs> oh, so that's the funny thing. Literally me and this new girl, which if she ever listens to this, Hi, baby girl. I hope you're having a good time. <laughs> she and I met when I was taking this straight woman to see everything everywhere all at once. Like she oh sat God. in the row in front of us in the movie theater and it's been maybe two or three weeks that we've been seeing each other. And she lives like maybe a 10 minute walk from me in Brooklyn. So like no one sees us consistently, particularly because every time I've stayed over before, I've stayed and I've made her breakfast. So normally I wouldn't leave till 4 or 5 p.m. if I left at all. So no one has quite clocked me in that manner. <laughs> I have to say, first of all, Garna and Diana, both of you have given us a, such a beautiful snapshot into what it means to have representation. Can we just put it to screenplay? That French onion soup <laughs> moment and that morning waking up with the sun filtering in, like, let's get that on film ASAP. I don't know, call to action. Um, <laughs> and hard, hard, hard agreement, echo. Dating is 
a mess. Dating is a mess. I think it's a fair to say from a generalization, right? Modern dating sucks. It is so difficult. One dating apps are challenging. They're a nightmare. There's been a lot of great change, right? A lot of the platforms that I use, whether it's Hinge or Tinder, there have been a lot more thoughtful improvements, I feel, in the past few years to be queer friendly, to have trans-oriented folks, whether you're trans-masculine, trans-feminine, or other aspects of the spectrum. I think we see the tech changing, but these, like, just calling it you know, candidly, is the user experience different? Yeah, it's a whole different story. But uh, I'm a big believer from a change happens incrementally, progress is happening um, in ways that are new and distinct. And at minimum, if the platform is changing and is at least opening the space for it, why not hold out some hope that it can get a little bit better? I think that's some of my optimism shining through, but that doesn't change the fact that dating still is a mess right now. It's hard. (laughs) And I think some of the nuances and the complexities that we got to hear from both of you, I mean, as an individual who predominantly dates um, straight men. It's distinctly harder. Um, I think there are a number of points to say, but I think to keep it short, what I'd say is um, there's something, and in, in, I don't know if you're familiar, um, she's a journalist. She, I don't know if she's still with Vice, but um, she's a trans journalist and she's particularly writing about uh, trans, trans amory and trans dating. Uh, her name is Diana, I think, Tourget. She's written some incredible pieces. And one of the more um, thought-provoking ones, not to say that any of hers that wasn't thought-provoking, but something that really stood out to me was this point that straight men are part of the trans community. And it was a very polarizing (laughs) statement to say, (laughs) right? Um, and, and, And I think uh, what, what was within it though, is I think a clear point of if there are straight men who are engaging with trans folks, if they are trans amorous, do they not have a role and a responsibility to play in helping shift our culture to change perceptions, our values, how we engage with the trans community that you have to go beyond just exploring in this discrete fashion or in ways that are self-serving for you on an individual basis. If you're going to engage with our community, step up, be the ally. You don't have to be under the trans community banner, but at minimum, be the ally. And so um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. There's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen in society and what it means to show affection and love and care to trans folks. Um, And it's happening little by little. And until we start seeing it more mainstream until that mindset. And again, those values change. Dating's going to be really hard, but still in the difficulties, I think we got to hear the beauty of, again, when dating can be great, or even in those short moments, how much can we have, um, have that fill of affection and love and care that we want and we all seek. So that's, That's my take on it. And if anything, day by day, short-term dating, long-term dating, the main thing that I'm focusing on is how am I growing? How am I growing in a relational capacity? Am I becoming a better communicator? Am I working on my trigger points? You know, those things are the things that I can carry forward wherever we go, right? To bring our best selves to the next relationship. 
Okay. Wow. Thank you. Need you. A TED talk. <laughs> Truly. Every season we have to take. <laughs> well, I can't talk now. <laughs> Sorry. Every season we like to take a moment. To thank all of our Patreons and our Patreon subscribers, especially all of you who have been there since day one, five years ago. Oh, world. <laughs> you really do keep the gears running over here at One More Thing. It's how we're able to bring you all of these great episodes. And if you are listening to this episode and you're like, wow, how could I give them money from my Venmo? You can. No, you can't. Oh. You can't Venmo us. <laughs> you can. PayPal us a one-time donation at the number one more thing podcast at gmail.com on PayPal. You can become a Patreon at the $1 level, which is a bonus episode every month. For $5, you can get a bonus video every month. Not the Leah Michelle video. And we have some surprises since we're in season now where there are going to be some exclusive perks and sneak peeks and... Potentially full, unedited, uncensored episodes. Uncensored! You know, we're, we're, we've thrown some bleeps in there. Yeah, that's true. Go subscribe. Thank you all three for being here. This brings us to the end of the episode in which we usually do this thing called One More Thing, where we ask one question or we play a game. So buckle up. We're going to ask each of you just the same question, which is if you were to tell anybody who was struggling with their gender one thing, what would it be? And you can speak directly to our to our listeners as well. I want to yeah, give we... you all a second to think about what that is. Yeah. While you're thinking, I'll just say that we do have a large, like younger audience. So Listeners, for those of you who are in high school and college, I know you're out there because you message us all the time. Please listen to this carefully because we have the three smartest people in the world with us. That's a, be- it's, a it's, God, it's a really beautiful question. I, if I could, I would really love to read a journal entry because the day that I started um, my medical transition, I started keeping a diary that I have kept since that day um, to the that. point now where my, my, primary artistic practice is as like a diarist um and I I came to this understanding I think of my personal transness in a way that I I don't think I can ever actually achieve again and so I'm just gonna read this thing so you used to play fairies at recess last night I remembered playing fairies as a younger kid creating portals in anything adventure imminent escape immediate Transformation is the spirit of God in life. The bush burns and becomes anything. Grow, calls God. Transform, become, be. Make true my gift and multiply yourself. Yes, God, that's love. God had a son who died and he came back as everybody. So for me, my transness is about transformation at all times, becoming something, becoming anything. Um, and so if I could say one thing to my younger self, to a younger self who is at the beginning of, of all of this, even though there's, there's really no such thing, right? I would say just be anything because you can. And even if you don't see the thing that you want to be, you'll smell it when you get closer. You'll hear it when you get closer. So 
you know, continue to take that next step and, and trust that, you know, when you are what you will be, you will know what you are, but you don't have to know what you are before then. Um, so just be anything. Got chills. Whoa. <laughs> Beautiful. That was really, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you all for letting me read from my private personal diary. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, what I, what I want to share if I'm thinking back to my younger self, one would be know what you want deeply. Know what you want. Be unafraid to ask for help and get better at asking for help. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes we, we don't know what we want. We see, we chase, we compare, we think that is what I need to do. And sometimes that helps inspire, but I think there is something of taking that reflective approach, sitting down with yourself and saying, is this really what I want? What is it that I want? And do what you need to do to better answer that question. Sometimes that might put you in a track of over-analysis. Okay, we can't get lost there for too long, but really take the time. I think that's one beat. Um, asking for help. Uh, I think we got to hear earlier on in our conversation, there's some degree of lone wolfness when it comes mm. to being a trans individual. We are breaking uh, new paths in our day-to-day lives everywhere we go. There is a radical aspect to our pure existence day-to-day-to-day. And I think the reality is we need help. We can't do it all by ourselves. We can't burn ourselves out by doing that. And so I think knowing that it's okay to ask for help was something I wish I learned sooner. And then the third point of getting better at asking for help. I think it connects back to knowing what you want, but sometimes you know you need help, but it's hard to articulate, but challenge yourself to try and find the words of what kind of help that you need. Because when you do that, you can get better at finding the person or the peoples who can help you. And part of that is my reflection. I know we didn't talk a lot about kind of our distinct professional work that we do, but um, one aspect of trying to get a job in corporate America. To many, that is an unattractive idea. To some, it's an interesting idea. But I know for me, it was an interesting idea that felt really far away because of my identity. I thought, could I, would I be in a place that would be accepting, where I wouldn't be alienated purely based upon who I am as a human intrinsically? Um, What I wish I had known was there are people in companies that are actively working to make the culture a little bit better, that are invested in trying to foster safer spaces. And they are. History has shown it. Um, Not, you know, corporations aren't perfect. They're not going to get every single thing right, but there is good intent. And so if that's an area uh, where you're interested in going, knowing what you're seeking, um, I think is important. And so that you can pose the question in a way that can help get you to the things that you need. It doesn't mean it has to be a corporate job, but I think it can be applied <laughs> in any sort of context, right? Know what you want. And then through the power of relationship, they can really help you get there. So trust mm-hmm. in that tribe around you. I'm going to do this a little bit differently. If you listen out there, hey, baby, come in for a second. Is she trans auntie? I just want you to take a deep breath for me. Okay, 
Now, I know that you live in a life and you feel like you're struggling with this thing and it's hard. I know it is. You are white knuckling through so much of your life and you are gripping in your hand every standard, every expectation that somebody has handed you or you have been told you needed to accept. And I want you to know that what is in your hand is not your fault. But if you keep white knuckling and squeezing that thing, even that and everything else in your hand will turn to dust. It don't have to be right now. It don't have to be tomorrow. But I want you to know, if you can just loosen that fist up a little bit, just a little bit, pretty soon it'll open up and you'll have space in your hand for you and any and everything else in creation. You are more than enough. You are more than worthy, whether you get there and can decide that tomorrow or in 20 years. But until you figure that out, I'm gonna believe it for you because you are so loved and you are not alone. And even in those little moments where you think don't nobody love you, but you, you love you. It should be right there. And if you ever need it, come back to this voice. Now, I know I'm just some Southern lady on a voice recording, but uh, I love you, baby. And I need you to choose you, just you for just a second. Go ahead. All right now. I mean, I don't even know how to how to wrap this up at this point. You all, thank you all for being here with us. And yeah, all three I, of those responses, I was like on the verge of tears by the end of each one. So thank you all for those three beautiful things that I'm very very sure will help some of our listeners. Thank you all so much for being here and for these amazing words. And there was so much we wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. We didn't get to talk about work. We didn't get to talk about the trans brides, but we can't make this episode four hours long. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly, I agree with Robert. I don't know how to end this episode. I just feel like I want to keep talking to you all forever. I guess I will say, how can all of our listeners find you? Obviously, listeners, please do not reach out to these uh, wonderful people who are our guests today in any excess way. But how can people find you? How can people support you? Do you have any upcoming projects that we can help spotlight in any any way? Well, yeah, like I said, I I am a diarist. I am also a visual artist and a writer. Um, You can find me on Instagram. My main Instagram is hrhdianavivo. And I also have an alt Instagram where I do memes and talk about my feelings. And that <laughs> handle is Bushwick Het. Bushwick Het. Do you live um, in Bushwick? I do live in Bushwick. I, I do live in Bushwick, yeah. So do I. We should be friends. Um, I agree. Well, I was about, I mean, I was going to message you two in excess. So I'm going to respectfully ignore what Robert said. Yeah. <laughs> 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 One plug I'd love to make is uh, I recently joined um, the board of a of a nonprofit here in New York called Trans New York, and mm. so it's a it's a it's a new relatively new nonprofit, and there's a great focus on one workforce readiness and workplace readiness. So workplace is more of the 
consultative kind of training work that we do with companies with an explicit interest uh, to make, to help foster a space that's more trans inclusive, queer inclusive. So that's one aspect. And then the workplace readiness is we have cohorts where we bring on um, trans folks uh, and help get you ready in terms of job placement. Um, there are various modules that you can participate in. Um, folks of ranging backgrounds and experiences. Uh, it can be folks who, I mean, we have folks that have transitioned later in life who have extensive amounts of professional experience. We have folks who are coming straight out of college. So it's a big range, but the common point is we have a shared experience in our identity and what we are living and breathing every day. And we have an interest in advancing ourselves in a new kind of capacity. So if that's something that interests you to participate, reach out to me, or if you want to volunteer and find other ways, you can um, contact me by email, which is cleopkim at gmail.com. Or if you prefer, you can use um, Instagram. Sometimes that's easier. Shoot me a DM and you can reach me at Cleo K says with an S at the end. So hope to hear from you. Cleo, you're a girl boss. But with no gaslighting, no gatekeeping, right. we're trying to break those down, right? It's, it's, you have distilled the purest form of girl boss. It's, it's a new natural resource. There, there's a high, there's a, there's a heart to use the dot over the I in girl boss. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, hi babies. Uh, trans auntie's back, but in a more like reasonable form. I am an actor, writer, singer. I don't know how soon this podcast is going to be coming out. Um, Tomorrow. Oh, period. <laughs> period, period, period. Well, then this is perfect timing. Um, you will soon be able to see me um, in the new workshop of Cats set in the ballroom scene here in New York City. Yeah, I found out about that like last week. I will be performing at the parody theater gala this coming Thursday. If you follow me on Instagram, you will be able to keep up with all of the variety shows um, and comedy shows that I will be singing at and things of that nature. You can follow me on my Instagram at Miss Uyubeta. That is my old drag name from when I still whip that out. That's M-S dot U-J-U-B-E-T-T-A. Um, if you want to follow me on TikTok where I just do two stupid uh, gay shit, uh, that is at Crystal Them, C-H-R-Y-S-T-A-L-T-H-E-M. And um, for no particular reason at all, maybe I just like the show or something, make sure you tune in to American Horror Story New York. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Another show to add to our list from this episode. Exactly. We've got a whole recommendation list. Wow. Also, okay. just out of personal curiosity, are you allowed to say um, in what form you are participating in the cats? Um, yeah, I, I, I have a vested interest. Um, so it's I'm playing Cassius Bumbleerina, who like, ah! Taylor Swift played in the movie. Oh my yeah. god, Diana just lost it. I'm like about to. As soon as we get off this call, I'm literally gonna slam my computer closed and scream baby there's ballroom cats like I like the degree to which I'm thrilled <laughs> yeah it's like it's 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 gonna be really interesting I I literally found out about it like last week I, I did the whole audition process um and I'm gonna be doing it so I'm really excited I don't know where it's gonna go or how it's gonna go but it's gonna uh, go well <laughs> 
it's gonna but go well. Diana said so, so obviously. I mean, if Diana says so. <laughs> okay, we have to end this episode because we've been going for like an hour and 40 minutes, but okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. And uh, we will see you next week. What is next week, Robert? Do you remember? Um, um, well, we'll see you next week with something. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 One More Thing is produced by us, Jay and Robert, and also David Zimmerman. Thank you to Abby Davis for the artwork and Gotham Podcast Studios for housing our full season five. Yeah. Um, thank you, of course, of course, to our patrons over at patreon.com slash one more thing, where you can be a $1 patron or a $5 patron. $1 gets you a bonus episode every month. $5 gets you a bonus video every month. You can also PayPal us a one-time donation at number one more thing podcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a little rate and review while you're at it. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at one more thing with an A because I indeed was taken. That's it. Bye. Bye.